If you are not careful and you let yourself be captured by the news and all the noise, it can confuse you into believing that there is more wrong in our society than right with it, that there are more selfish people than selfless people. Every day there are more people that you know, that you meet, that you pass by, who focus their efforts and energy into helping others, in service to others, to making their country, their community better. They are the teachers, the doctors, the nurses, the veterans, the police officers, and so many others. This is the Strength From Service Podcast. All right, welcome to another edition of Strength From Service, the podcast, also the radio show. I am Jake Palmer, the quiet guy in the corner, which is an unusual role for me. Joined, as always, by uh, my guy to the... Uh, they say you should give a description to people because it helps them relate on the radio and on the podcast. So uh, to my right, or no, this is my left, is uh, Jack, <laughs> Jack Zimmerman. And, of course, as always with us, uh, Mike McLaughlin. Good day, gentlemen. How are you? Good day. Good, good, Jake. How are you doing? I'm doing real well. It's good to see you guys, as always. I'm excited about our guest this evening. Uh, or afternoon, or whenever you might be listening to the podcast. Mike, give us the good tip. All the right. lead-in, if you will. Yeah. So today's guest is a North Mankato uh, native, currently resides in Mankato. Uh, grew up in the area, attending uh, Loyola High School. For those of you who are listening that aren't familiar with that, uh, Loyola School is a, a faith-based uh, school in the Mankato area. Uh, attended Loyola from grade school through uh, graduation, was a multiple-time state qualifier in wrestling and also a state champion his junior year in wrestling in Minnesota, which, again, if you're not from the area, being state champion in the Midwest, uh, Iowa, Minnesota, Dakotas is a pretty big deal, even though he downplays it. Uh, I've, I've known Kevin for uh, quite a while, and I, I actually didn't learn about that till probably about a year or so ago. I like you didn't uh, mention Wisconsin. Yeah, well, I mean, that's not a big deal so, <laughs> Easy in general. Uh, uh, he was also a Loyola football coach for many years uh, for the varsity program there, too. Uh, youth minister at Holy Rosary Catholic, Rosary Catholic Church in North Mankato. Uh, a probation agent for Blue Earth County. Um, there was another position in there, too, but I'll let him uh, elaborate on that if we get to it. And then most recently... Since 2004, he's been the the 5th Judicial District State uh, Court Treatment Coordinator uh, for Drug Court and Veterans Court. Uh, Veterans Court was 2011? Correct. 11? 2011, yeah. And then even more recently, uh, got elected to the Mankato City Council in 2022 and started his term this January of 2023. So busy guy leave some for the rest of us yeah really some of us. and so our guest today is the great and only kevin metler so welcome kevin yeah hey, welcome hey, thank you welcome kevin wow. thanks for uh thanks for joining us man that's a that's a full resume right there yeah it is I, i'm pretty uh i don't remember half of it i guess so uh that's pretty cool thank maybe you. a good thank thing or maybe much. a bad yeah, thing right? you're some of it you're the first guy i've actually had to write this stuff down for and we've had neurosurgeons in yeah. here before so yeah that's good. Yeah, it's been a it's been a fun life, and if you ask my wife, it's been way too much of a fun life, and uh, I can't I can't say enough about her and my family and what they've allowed me to do over the past several years. They've allowed me to live my dreams out, and I've gotten to. So it take it, cool. it, there's a support system that has to be there, right? I mean, yeah. it, it just doesn't work otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my wife's my wife Patty. Has, we've been married for 33 years, and. Uh, 
she's been amazing. She's probably the one we should be interviewing. We yeah. should yeah. be interviewing yeah. her because she's but. she's the tough one. I mean, they, you know, the joke about behind every man there's a great woman. That's the truth for me. I'm so lucky. I've been blessed and to have three daughters. I have three daughters. Uh, Ashley's 30, um, Alyssa's 27, and Megan's 23. Um, been blessed, great kids. She's done a great job raising them too. While I was out galvanizing all of the I think we should just point out that he got the names and the dates and the ages all correct right that's there. Impressive. That's, big, that's a big, big accomplishment. Impressive. Yeah. What's your anniversary date? Yeah. yeah. Stop now, Mike. Come on, Mike. Mike. Come on, Mike. We're just getting started. Give the guy a break, man. <laughs> She's listening. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, let's start at the beginning. So you, uh, we, you kind of mentioned you're from North Mankato. So you grew up in North Mankato. Went to school there and all. Well, we prefer to call it God's country, okay, but well, North, Lower North Mankato back in the day was God's country, or, or when we talked to the, the cake eaters over in Mankato, we used to call it the mean streets of North Mankato, because you, you had to be a little bit tougher to live over there and grow up in that area. But yeah, I grew up in uh, Lower North Mankato on Page Street. Um, my, my parents, I have a sister that's about five years older than me. Um, my dad was the maintenance person for... Mankato Loyola, and well, before that, Good Council High School, or Good Council, yeah, all girls high school, and then became the maintenance person for Loyola. So I grew up up on the hill. I literally grew up on the hill. I was up there from first minute I can remember, you know, anything being up there doing stuff. Um, my mom spent, a lot of people remember Judy from the quick trip on Madison Avenue. My mom just retired about six years ago, but she was a mainstay up at quick trip. Taught me my, I mean, my dad, before he died, you know, gave me this. We sat down and talked, and he said, "I feel bad. I don't know that I've taught you much." And he taught me a couple really good things that I kind of live by. Number one, my work ethic, and number two, my sense of humor. I like to make people laugh. He taught me that from day one. Um, so those are two pretty good things you you have that, in life. That's got to be pretty neat that you can uh, you can attribute that directly back to dad. I would yeah. think. Yeah, it was uh, definitely him and my mom. Her. Same thing. Both like to make people laugh. Both super hard workers. So that was. It's kind of how I've tried to lead my life. Sure. Um, so what, what what were you like as a kid? What was it like growing up over there and going to school? And uh, I mean, were you an average student, above average? Hmm. Were you a troublemaker? What was it like? I was never a good. Stu- I didn't become a good student until like my last two years of college. And again, I'll give I'll attribute that to my wife. Taught me how to study finally. But I, you know, I was a pretty quiet kid. Didn't do much as far as. I just went to school. I went to uh, Holy Rosary back then. There was Holy Rosary in the middle of uh, North Mankato, so I went to school there. Um, didn't really get into athletics or anything until I was uh, in seventh grade and went to Loyola. Um, it's interesting, and I can get into that a little bit later, but you know, I, I decided to go. I was lucky enough to go to Loyola when I had some friends that went elsewhere um, and ended up kind of running down a rough road. And three of the guys I was best friends with before um, before seventh grade ended up in my program drug court. Hmm. So, oh, wow. um, so it was interesting. I mean, yeah. we, 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 you know, again, Loyola saved me from a lot. There's a lot uh, the, to be said about uh, you become who you hang out with. Yeah, you know, I got super lucky not only because um, of the school, but the parents that uh, my friends just amazing parents that you know and back then if you you know if you did something wrong you heard it from your parents and you heard it from the parents of the of the community sure and uh that was real important for for us and, and that was the neat thing about uh lower north mankato at that time it was all bi- big family homes and if i was down uh down on belgrade 
somebody saw me acting like a fool, I heard it. And then mm -hmm. my parents heard it, and I heard it again. And maybe heard wasn't exactly the word. Right, 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 right. So just to put that in account, when did you, you graduate high school in? 1985. 85, okay. So I was saying that sounds, so old. sounds, sounds yeah. like a similar era I grew up in where yeah. you uh, you were taught to respect your elders, and if you messed up anywhere, any adult could yell at you, and yeah. you, you were in trouble. That was yeah. it. You stopped and snapped, too, and, and corrected yourself immediately, or, or they were going to correct you. <laughs> so, afraid of all adults. Yeah. 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 And the interesting part about it is not only did you hear from them, but they all knew each other. Sure. I mean, my parents knew everybody in Lower North Mankato and still today. So, yeah, it was a great place to grow up. I mean, we were, summertime we got out of bed and we were gone and came back for lunch and we were gone and came back for supper and gone and came back for bedtime. And Was was Spring Lake Park, the public pool, open yeah, then too? the pool was open. There's, every baseball field was always full of people, whether it was the three at Spring Lake Park or the one at, or there was technically two at, at Wheeler Park at that time. They were just kind of hayfields but sure we were in there all the time mm -hmm. yeah that was a i grew up a turtle lot neighborhood so yeah. that was the same thing you know I, I always remember and i always joke about it you know close about 10 o'clock in the morning when the pool was getting ready to open you'd see the whole neighborhood just kind of empty into the street in the summertime and kind of just move yeah. in the direction of the pool and then when it closed down you see everybody flood back to the parks to go play football to go play baseball that side of it too and unfortunately we've lost that a little bit we've lost a little bit of that community i believe and i think that's kind of a what do you think that okay. is that because uh, I have my uh, theories on this also is that is that parenting is that uh, devices is that uh, just the changing of the tide you know I think for I, I've had to take a step back and I've had conversations with a lot of people that are in my field and I think we just automatically have become overprotective because we've seen so much so you, you just protect your kids and we heard all this you can't let your kids out you can't your kids can't be alone they can't do this they can't do this we all bought into that and therefore we've sheltered our kids so much from Right. You know, what's going on? And it was going on back then. You just didn't hear about it. Correct. It, it yeah. was almost, you know, and, and this isn't, I don't mean to be flip about it, but it was almost, if something happened to somebody, it was like, okay. It was bound to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, it was almost like natural, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. They died because of this. So they, you know, and I'm not saying, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, back then it was just like, okay, you know, yeah. things happen and. And now it doesn't, you know. Yeah, and we, we I mean, we've had an intentionality kind of with my kids and, and where we're at, too, uh, in town. I mean, we, we could have, you know, moved out to the country and done everything else, and we've stayed in town. And now a lot of that neighborhood has turned over where a lot of the, the original people when we moved in were my parents' age, were empty nesters or finishing out with their last kids. Now the next house next to us has got three boys. The next house over has got two kids. You know, cross the street, they got two kids. Cross the street, they got two kids. Oh, the next awesome. one, they have five kids. I mean, so it's it's turning over, and even like hot days, like right now, hot for Minnesota, it's in the high 90s, you know, low hundreds. Uh, you know, it's 8:30 at night. It's like, okay, you guys can go outside and play for a while. Get outside, even stuck yeah. inside, and let them run around the neighborhood and play and tag. So I, I think there's some intentionality on it, and I I get like you said, uh, Kevin, that. You know, people are more aware of all that with all of our connectivity, not just the kids. I think it com commonly gets thrown out there that, well, it's the devices they're on. So not a, the kids, it's the parents, the devices we're mm -hmm. on, all the information we have, um, and, and, you know, and kind of protecting them a little too much. So hopefully that movement and that free play and that time out of the house and that time away from parent instructional is something that continues to come back because uh, we need it for community Absolutely. building. There was... I 
There was a word as kids that we never used, uh, which was a board. Yeah. If you right. said you were bored around your parents, man, you had immediately had a chore Bored. or a task. And so you found a way to entertain yourself quickly. B-O-A-R-D. When you were you know, in trouble, you got the board, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was a real thing back then. That was a real deal, man. Not B-O-R-E-D. That reminds me of my old football coach. If, you, if he came up to you in a practice and he asked you if you were tired, there was never a good answer. Right. Because if you were tired, then you were out of shape, take a lap. Yeah. And if you if if you weren't tired, then you took a lap. You're, you're not working hard enough to take yeah. a lap. Yeah, yeah. slacking. Yeah. Yeah. So, conditioning are you? You know. So if he asked it, you just took off. Yeah. You so never you, answered him. So you uh, you grew up uh, lower north. So there was a, a separation. Apparently, you know, getting into seventh grade, getting into sports. Did you kind of get to find a new like group to run around with? Then once you hit kind of that athletic side in seventh grade, what, I mean, what was your first sport? I'm guessing football. Then yeah, football. So what happened is in back in those days. Uh, Fitzgerald was the middle school, and that was kind of the melting pot for Mankato, or excuse me, Holy Rosary, which is the great school in North Mankato, St. John's, uh, was, you know, where, where, where the churches are, and then St. Joe's in Upper West Mankato. And uh, they all came together at Fitzgerald, so we all, you know, we were playing sports against each other all the way up until seventh grade and, and baseball and all that kind of stuff, and then we just came together and started hanging out and played football and automatically caught on for me obviously I was you know I, I it's funny when you other than the few extra pounds height wise and foot wise you know I've had a size 16 foot since I was in ninth grade I've, oh, I've, I've you know been six four since I was in eighth grade I've you know so but the interesting thing is my my first football coach put me at fullback so I was like 6'3", 260, and I was the fullback. And, uh, <laughs> and I loved it because, you know, contrary to where I am now, I was fairly athletic and I could do some things. But, yeah, he, he put all our, all our uh, large guys in the backfield and all the small guys in the front. So it was pretty interesting. But I loved it because I got to Get a run at him. I got to run. And then, uh, you know, I played basketball uh, up until eighth grade. And uh, Lefty Hafner, who was an all, you know, he's one of the best coaches around Minnesota, or Minnesota, one of the best baseball players. He was uh, he was a mentor of mine. Came up to me at ba in basketball practice, and he looked at me. He goes, "Kevin, you're not a basketball player." He goes, "You're going out for wrestling." <laughs> and I looked at him, and I had a a way off color remark to that um, that statement of his. Sure. And uh, he took me down, and introduced me to Rudy Coleman. Jeff Willard, who were my wrestling coaches all the way through high school, um, and I, that you know I wrestled my f uh, first year in eighth grade, and we wrestled Janesville, and Janesville was a powerhouse back then in wrestling, and I pinned my first guy in like eight seconds, and I'm like, wow, this is super easy, <laughs> and yeah. then I went out and got pinned every match up until my last match, and then I pinned that guy, so it got me to come back, sure. and uh, then my, uh, like I said, my freshman year I went to state and my kind of went on from there just I and I just grew into it my my body grew into it I've always told people for years all my whatever happened to me as a wrestler that's one of the reasons I don't talk about it a lot I I'm probably you know the worst wrestler you could come up with but I was big and I was strong and I was quick and I was pretty smart out there so I you know I I won matches based on that um I wasn't a pure wrestler but Things worked out. Well, that's not a bad combo to have, either. right? Yeah, you know, that's you're simple. winning. That's all that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it was interesting. So, so I mean, 
did you ever come back to basketball then? Were you doing dual sport athlete? Or? No, I play, I, but I love basketball. I played it, you know, as much as I could and fancied myself a pretty good basketball player. And I would, now I can't shoot anything anymore. But I, I wish I, you know, we had a, that, my uh, class had a really good basketball team, really good. I mean, they should have went to state and ended up a couple things didn't happen. But so they didn't let me back in. Yeah. So, I mean, out of those, those sports, uh, Sounds like wrestling ended up being just kind of your natural fit. Uh, was football more what you enjoyed more then too, or? Well, everybody. I mean, wrestling's not a sport you truly enjoy. Yeah. It's just one of those things you do. And and I've always said anybody that really that wrestles is has to be a little bit insane. <laughs> the, some of the stuff they put you through. And uh, my coaches, Jeff Willett, would it would. Uh, would walk down the street and if you saw anybody of any size he would bring them in and if you know anything about wrestling i know mike you do it would you know typically you would do a uh three guys uh, you know and, and you'd interchange so i yep. would wrestle mike for a minute and then the next guy i'd come out and the next guy would come in well he would bring six guys in and i never got to go out yeah. and I mean, what he did to me would probably be illegal right now um, I called bull in the ring usually yeah. 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 yeah i was just i was in there for the whole practice and then when people would leave when everybody would leave, Jeff and I would stick around, and at that time he had all these weird things that no, you know, weighted jump ropes and gravity boots, and and we would lift and and run stairs together for another hour. Another reason why my grades weren't very good—I was too tired to study. Well, I mean, you were you were putting a lot of effort and at least hard work in, into at least one aspect. I mean, that's when I was in junior high and in high school. I don't know if I actually put a, a whole lot of effort into athletics or a whole lot of effort into. Uh, my educational studies too. wherever you really feel like that's kind of wherever your effort really goes you know like if you know you're really love playing sports that's what you're going to focus on and push your energy to and and uh it's just hard to find that motivation then <laughs> to do the schoolwork. when i was a super shy kid and i just didn't you know i was a big kid i was a little overweight i got a lot of guff growing up and um once i found that niche and started having people go hey wow that's Kevin Mettler and he's a good wrestler Kevin Mettler he's a good football player um you know football was just one of those things I, I enjoyed it I played a lot I mean I, I started off four years at Loyola we had some good teams um it just didn't it didn't you know I had some offers it didn't pencil out uh Waldorf Junior College came after me for wrestling. Back in that day, it was this Iowa conference was kind of this uh, junior college con con conference was kind of a feeder for Division One programs for kids that just weren't ready to go to school yet. Mm. Um, and that was me. And they asked me to play football right away. I played football, started on the offensive line, um, and then wrestled. And so I did that for my freshman year. My sophomore year, I screwed up my back and couldn't play football. So continue to wrestle and well those are all still too i mean even through school and then college too those are skill sets that you can you know take things away from and use later on like football the, the more team social environment group dynamic more active and involved with your other it's more of a you know it gets used in all sports but it's more of a, a brotherhood or you know a, a team environment true team and, and football mm -hmm. every play wrestling the nice thing that i always appreciated about and i appreciate it uh, for my own kids too is you have to own your success or mm -hmm. failure in wrestling and when you're out on the mat out there if you fail you got nobody else to blame and you have to learn how to deal with failure and that's a that's a good lesson to learn early on in life is 
that failure doesn't mean you stop. It means you learn from those lessons and you overcome and you, you know, you adapt and you continue and you pick yourself up. And so, I mean, it sounds like you got a lot of that, that good baseline. You had your family, your father, and a lot of those lessons too. But then through those, you know, uh, athletics, it's kind of inherent there. And some, sounds like you had some mentors there with the coaches with mm-hmm. Jeff Willard too, the people that took some investment in you too. Yep. Which I imagine, you know, later on we'll talk your coaching that might have might have uh, had something to do with that imprint in your head on why you probably wanted to get involved in coaching too. Yep. When you went to Waldorf, did you know what you were going to go to school for? I mean, did you have a, a major picked out, or were you just going? For yeah, football. He said. <laughs> <laughs> really, it was just that. Here. Listen, yeah, uh, it was kind of funny. It was just that. I just thought I was going to go there and and play football and wrestle. And actually, what it turned into is my my what I was going to get my. Uh, AA degree in was teaching, which was a weird thing. But um, it turned out to be, uh, and I can go into it later. But I had a was supposed to go then on to Oklahoma State. I had a three-year full ride, even though I only had two years left. The other part of it was to be a grad assistant and then work down there. But I always tell my wife, I said it was a good thing that happened because otherwise I'd be down there married to Bobby Lou, Mary Sue. Yeah, like right, that. yeah. Well, and was Oklahoma State for football or for wrestling? Wrestling. wrestling? State, and they, yeah. they're still number one in the nation for most national titles, too. <laughs> yeah, aren't they're, they? they're pretty good still. And back then they were the number one team in the nation. So does modesty come from your mom then? Because <laughs> like that, you just gloss over that the, the best wrestling program in right, the history yeah. of the United States right. offered you a full ride. Well, you know, just. Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, you and I were talking about it a little bit before. It's 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 a tough story for me. It's it's a little bit embarrassing for me to talk about because I had to, I, I had to give it up. I, I couldn't go there because I, I, I took a different path at Waldorf. Waldorf was a pretty tough school uh, academically, also, um, and I thought that I could just go to school there to, and play football and wrestle, and have fun and didn't spend it. I literally never opened a book. Um, I don't remember. I never went to. I didn't go to a lot of classes, and I made it through there for two years doing that. So that's a bit of a, of a scary story, I guess. That, you know, they allowed me to play football. They allowed me to wrestle for two years. Right. Literally nothing happened to me until, the minute I, took off my wrestling shoes after my sophomore year, hmm. um, and then they started going. Wait a minute. What, what's going on with these grades? <laughs> what's happening here? You know, and I'm like, you know, I, so I kind of felt a little used by them a little bit. But, yeah, my grades weren't good enough to go to Oklahoma State. I I came back to Mankato after that, kind of just broken. Yeah. Uh, I worked at a an establishment in Mankato that I'm sure you'll remember. You guys are too <laughs> young. Called the Albatross. I oh, was, yeah, I know about uh, the Dirty Bird. I was a bouncer there for uh, two years. And during that time, I just led this kind of, spent all my time at the Albatross, yeah. bouncing. And, we got to uh, talk about this scar on the back of my head doing, here from you. No, okay. doing, doing, the other, doing other things I shouldn't have been doing. And uh, until I, uh, I was watching the national championship after, so I had a buddy of mine tape the national championship. And uh, the guy that was wrestling in the national championship, I had beaten in college. And no way. So... I was like, this time to straighten up. Uh, got lucky and met my wife and started studying and got a degree from Mankato State two years later. Well, there's, I mean, I, I would imagine if you reflect and look at that time too, again, you look at lessons learned and how it carries on later in life. But, you know, to, to think why you were going through that time and then to reflect at it, yeah, you were able to get by without doing, you know, the studying and without opening a book. 
but I think maybe reflection, I'm putting maybe words or thoughts in your uh, mouth too or your head that, you know, the negative side of people enabling your bad behaviors or you not fulfilling, you know, what you could be or to your best potential is, you know, that I'm not putting on the institution, but, uh, you know, that setup you had down there is they were just kind of enabling you to, to fail academically and just get what they needed out of you. In the end, you know, during it, I, I imagine as a young male, you know, I, I made plenty of mistakes too, a young man, you know, you're probably like, well, this is great. I'm getting away with it. But mm-hmm. in the end, you're just cheating yourself. And when that comes home to roost, it's just you holding that bag by yourself and all those people that enabled you are gone. Yep. I imagine you see that now in your career and other aspects of life now with people where the danger of, you know, you can you can cheat yourself and you can let surround yourself with people that are going to enable you, but in the end, you're going to be the one that pays that toll. Absolutely. And I've tried through everything that I've done over the past 30-some years, whether it's coach football, you know, work with the youth minister, as a youth minister, my kids, you know, just kind of instill that upon them that, you know, if you work hard in life, um, you, need, you need to work hard in life. If you continue to work hard, whatever you want to strive, you have to strive to be the best in all parts of it. Um, so, yeah, 100%. Okay. So, so when, you, okay, okay. I was say, so when you went to Mankato, then you decided, all right, I'm here in Mankato. I'm done with the, uh, mm-hmm. I'm done with the Albatross. I'm going to try to get it. Did you have a plan at that point? Uh, or did, did Give us the, the, the timeline. Did you, did you meet your wife and then go to school, or did you go to school and meet the wife? Did you have a plan? Met my wife, and she made it pretty well known to me that she wasn't going to marry somebody that wasn't going to mm-hmm. be a stand-up guy. Not that I wasn't a stand-up guy, but she wanted – I mean, I knew that she she, she put a lot of uh, credence in me graduating from college or having She wanted to marry an adult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. not an enforcer. Yeah. yeah, and I was the – you know, I'm, and that's – I was the first person, and, and, and you're talking about the Mettler family around here, and you're talking about my grandparents. This is a whole other subject. My grandparents had uh, 22 kids. And I have like yeah. 180 some uh, cousins and I'm the first person to graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife was, you know, her whole family went to high school or I mean, or, excuse college. me, I was the first one to graduate from college. I shouldn't say that. And my wife, everybody in her family went to college and, and I was, I, you know, I, I went and I went to play sports. I literally, Jackie asked me what, I, I don't know. I, I went there to play sports. That's the only reason I went there. I didn't think about what I wanted to do until somebody asked me, what are you going to do? Um, so yeah, I met her at the Albatross mm-hmm. and uh, started in school and literally uh, I was in education and first class I ever took was uh, just a, you know, a class to fill some spots and I took Intro to Juvenile Delinquency with Bill Wagner and uh, Bill was talking about crazy things about corrections that nobody talked about because back then every, everything in corrections was put them in prison. Right. Screw up, put them in prison. That's what you do with people. If you screw up, you put them in prison. And Bill was talking about prison doesn't work for anybody. Nobody wanted to hear that back then. 25 years later, that's what we're, that's what I do for a living. I mean, we're trying to keep people out of prison by keeping them in the community and really using community resources to push them to become better people. Um, so anyway, so I'd Started school, you know, just literally she had to teach me how to study. I never learned how to study. Mm-hmm. So lucky enough, my wife's very patient, taught me how to study. Um, did very well at Mankato State and uh, graduated um, in corrections with a minor in sociology. Hmm. Outstanding. Wow. And so. and so when you were graduating and going through that, did, did you have an idea that, that yes, I'm just going to go straight looking at uh, counties or state institutions, or did, what was the kind of your thought of? The- I, I, you know, I seem to take the long way around for everything, and and uh, <laughs> scenic route. Maybe. I, yeah, I just, you know, I thought 
back then it was very political and you had to have an end to get it to get an internship in a probation office and so i was in my mind i thought wow i'd be i think i'd really enjoy working in a prison and then i went and visited a prison and went wow this wouldn't really really wouldn't be fun to work here mainly because they just you know the first 10 years you're there you're working overnights and you just it's just a really tough job so i kind of you know i I didn't have an in. I didn't wasn't able to get an internship at a probation office, so I took an internship at uh, uh, the Leo A. Hoffman Center, which is in St. Peter. It's for juvenile sex offenders. Um, cottages with eight kids on it. You you're with them for eight hours a day. You I learned more within the first three minutes I was there than I. I mean I have stories that would blow your mind away um but i first three minutes i was there i walked down the unit and a kid hit me in the back of the head with a, the old style carmex bottles the mm-hmm. the, the like the porcelain little, ones little with glass the metal ones. Yeah, top. I remember yeah. Those. yeah everybody yeah. had them that took a shot i mean and so i you know that was a tough one but i, I was there for four years loved the job loved what we did we thought we did some really good stuff worked with some amazing people um and Lucky enough, there was a position that we just weren't, to be honest with you, we just weren't getting paid enough to just survive. Sure. Um, so I was still, again, I, I bartended at the Tab on the Ave while I was there. So I was bartending at the Tab on the Ave, working part-time at Menards. Um, I don't think there's a time in my life since, you know, meeting my wife like that where I haven't had two or three jobs. So, yeah, working at Menards, bartending, working at the uh, Hoffman Center. Then there was a position came open for the city or, sta- or Blue Earth County STS and juvenile work crew, so taking people out that are working off fines, adults, and then uh, juveniles that are that are back then they had a juvenile work crew and taking them out. So SDS is sentenced to serve, right? Yeah, work release sentenced sure. to serve and and for both juveniles and adults, and just kind of again came in the if if you worked probation back then and you didn't have a probation internship you weren't getting you weren't going to become a probation officer right so any job i could take in probation i took so i i I, you know there was a position open to to be the intern supervisor i popped into that there was a position open to run the community service open i took that and just kept chomping away at it i never i always knew i never really wanted to be your standard probation officer sit behind a desk and tell people what to do and mm-hmm. you know, right, yeah. crap like that because i don't think i never i always believe this cup up work. and stuff yeah. like that <laughs> yeah here you're coming in next month and, and you better be clean because i'm going to give you a ua on right. the 31st of june yeah mm-hmm. you know i just I, and if you don't do that you're going to prison um i just never bought into that and i never wanted that type of position well i got lucky and there was a an intensive dwi position that came open which is kind of a basically based on what treatment courts are about and i took that position over for a year and that kind of melded into treatment courts we mel- melted that position into treatment courts and that's kind of how i got into treatment courts. sure so i mean th- you were getting into probation kind of when you know that that worm was turning a little bit uh from the old model of prison come pee in the cup i'm going to tell you the date to more active because I know working with you now in veterans court and then working with a lot of probation agents is, is definitely that's kind of turned a little bit. So was there any uh, probation agents when you were coming on there that were kind of on the edge of that that you looked to as somebody to kind of pick up and, and learn from or was it kind of an old guard retiring out and you know kind of the new philosophy coming in? Well again I, I, 
I had worked a lot with Bill Wagner. He had a lot of great ideas, and then we moved on. And, and you know, when we came in, we were the young guys, and now, I, you know, Paul Ahern and mine is a good friend of mine, and we were just talking the other day, and I'm like, we're the old guys. But Terry Glaze and Steve Lentz and Toby Baker, and we had a great group of, I hate to call them older, they're going to be mad at me, but older probation officers that kind of led us into this um, where we're headed now and, and, and really looking at um, jail doesn't work. Prison doesn't work because it's just, you know, you put somebody away for a year and, and they're hanging around people that are um, exactly. involving themselves in criminal behaviors. They exactly what I just said earlier, you know, you, know, you become who you hang out yep, with. Yep. You know? And you get angry because right. you're sitting in a hole all day. Yeah. Um, so that's, we do the opposite in treatment courts. Sure. Can I, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I, I'm curious because uh, here in Minnesota, and uh, I know I've talked with a couple of people uh, like Pat McDermott and Scott Kutcher, we've talked about the changes that just took effect here August 1st with some of the probation laws, you know, where there's they've maxed out how much probation you can give. Because it used to be like you could literally be sentenced yeah. to like 20, 30 years of probation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I've always heard the same thing, and I'm curious to get your take on it, like, you know, really, if a guy's going to screw up on probation, he's going to do it right away. Yeah. So that extra 15 years is just a waste of time, right? Yeah, absolutely. What, what, yeah, is that your thoughts on that yeah, also? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I mean, and you have you guys that, you know, it's interesting what, you know, being old enough, I'm 56 now, and, and I'm working with, and I never thought I'd say this, but I'm working with people's kids that I started working with mm-hmm. 20 years ago. But, yeah, keeping somebody on for 20, 30 years really loses its effect in this, you know. And yeah, I, I'm glad they've started looking at some of those things. Is it, it just work. is it that they uh, is it that they get to a point where the probation is just unnecessary, or is it a little bit of both, where they just get good at? I mean, they either buy in or they get really good at beating the system. Again, both. Yeah. Again, both. Yeah. You see, you know, we're talking about people that um, when they're in the whatever they're in, whether it's the throes of their addiction or whether they're you know, young and just involving themselves in criminal behaviors or whether they're old and, and involving themselves in criminal behaviors, they either get it or they don't get it. And if they don't get it, they become really good at not getting it and, and making sure. sure if you don't understand what your job is and holding people accountable, um, you're going to get, you're going to get killed there. Right. You know, I just, you know, going from when I was a young agent and we did a lot and a lot, a lot of UAs back then, and it's nobody's favorite job, but it's very interesting because you get people that try to beat you in any which way they can. <laughs> um, and, and, and they spend all day, you know, taking medical tubing and wrapping it any which way you could think you could wrap it to try and beat a UA. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's and, and again, it just becomes almost a job for them. So they mm-hmm. figure out a way to beat things. I mean, like I was, I was joking with Jack. So if I tell Jack I'm going to UA in, in two weeks, Either you're a strong, really, really bad addict and you can't beat your, your addiction or you're really stupid and, you know, or a right. combination of the both where you're going to come in and test hot. Right. It reminds me of parent-teacher conferences when I was a kid. They, say, they always said, if Jake put as much effort into doing his homework as yeah. he did into finding creative ways to get out of it, he'd be a straight-A student and right. this would be a moot point. You know, same thing kind of. And Yeah, absolutely. And we live in a society right now where it's, you know, you can go down to any of the smoke shops and buy fake urine. You can buy... Mm-hmm every different way to beat a ua that you can possibly beat it um and again or go on the internet and 
Google how to beat a UA and or how to. Man, I'm messing up. I need to do like <laughs> yeah. those lemonade stands in the corner. You could sell you. Yeah, clean you. piss. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> think of that. I never thought about that. That's a that's a good business. Where are you going to get that from, Mike? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. There it is. Yeah. That's good. No, uh, but. Uh, uh, I know, like when uh, you know, like when I started helping out in the veterans court and and stuff like that with the mentorship and and whatnot. You know, I would uh, I found myself all of a sudden, you know, three or four weeks into being like, yeah, man, he's got his stuff together. To you know, what well, we just got results from three weeks ago, and the, and you know they were hot or whatever. And then you find out that they've been using the whole time and this mm-hmm. and that and and. As you're around it for more and more years, uh, you start catching on to guy's stuff. You start picking up on things. Stuff doesn't add up. If if something doesn't add up, it's probably something wrong. You know, like all these things, you know. In the beginning, do you feel like the sentence to serve and those stepping stones to get to where you were kind of gave you time to kind of catch on before you were in a a role that um, if somebody tricked you, it could have been really bad? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I was just talking to some friends that I worked with at the Hoffman Center and... We, there's some things we got, you know, fooled on back then, or mm-hmm. th- some things we were talked into doing back then that we we wouldn't do now. That I've learned so much step by step by step. Um, the biggest thing that I've learned with with the people that I work with is they're people, they're human beings. They've they're 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 not bad people. Everybody wants to corner men. All oh, these people are bad. Don't get me wrong. I think there's some people out there that have you know, I don't think, but bad is the word, but have some stuff going on in their lives where they just don't do well at treating people well. Uh, but for the most part, people are people are people. They're just like us. That's the way I've always taken this job. I I've I've always looked at it, but there before the grace of God go I. I could be on the other side of the desk as right. quickly as anybody I work with. One bad move, and you're you know you're on this other side of the desk. Oh, well, I'm glad I'm glad you said that because uh, I, I'm curious to, about that. It seems like we've heard the stories or we've seen people where they, they make that one mistake. And, you know, everybody makes a mistake now and then. But is it is it true that there, the system used to be set up in a way that if you made one mistake, it just got easier to make another mm-hmm. mistake and easier to make another mistake? A lot of it because of the way the probation system and the court system was set up, that it was almost designed for failure. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like we're going we're gonna to force you to, to be so perfect that one leads to another leads to another before you know it they they snowball out of control and you're like and and the guy standing there in front of you maybe made one mistake which you know inadvertently led to four other mistakes and now he's in deep deep trouble yep well two things happen and one thing we try to stay away from is really mixing what we would call a high high risk somebody that's a high risk to reoffend because of their criminal behaviors because of they don't have i mean they, they don't have high school education they don't have housing they don't have employment they don't have all these factors um so you don't mix them with somebody that's just coming in mm-hmm. because they again they have a tendency to rub off and teach, teach them how to be better criminals so we want to stay away from that um so that's one of the that's one of the biggest things we do is we try to keep that in mind um the other thing is uh, understanding that, like you said, people are people are going to come in. They're going to be brand new, and how do you keep them from moving forward in the criminal behaviors? And the number one thing is to try it. Like at our drug court, the biggest things we do is we try to find housing, employment, education, financial, medical, whatever we can do to make sure that you know that you you got a chance to move forward. And we build the self-esteem. 
That's mm-hmm. anything in life. If you're feeling good about yourself, you have a less chance of screwing up. Right. So we're gonna we're gonna take it, and that's what we've learned over the years. Compared to back in the day, it was like, if you screwed up, we were gonna be all over you. And we and I've seen ba- I've seen probation officers that are still doing that. That feel like it's all about power. I got into it because of power, and I'm gonna make sure you know I have the power. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I'm gonna hammer you. Yeah. And I because I, these people don't really care about authority in the first place. Yeah. So. No. No. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You know. I mean. No. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think and you hit on a bunch of those things that, you know, you try to get in there to stabilize them for health care, for housing, for employment. I think a big thing and an underlying theme that I've seen with some of the ones through uh, Veterans Court that have struggled, and Jack's hit on it a few times uh, so far, is also those ones that, you know, this isn't their first time messing up, but it's, you know, kind of repeat mess up. The big thing is association and changing their associations on a, mm-hmm. a big side of it, and, and I think that's one of the hardest things for a lot of people going through the system that have multiple offenses is don't I mean those are their friends that's their circles and family that's their family most I mean we, we kind of talk over it you know a lot of times but you know it is that is a lot of times one of the biggest undertakings and tasks is to say hey you got to find your new network uh, but you have to if you want a chance and you want to survive and you got to invest in yourself on this too so. I remember Kevin saying that actually at Vets Court one time he said if you really really mean you want to start over right now you'll go set your phone in the garbage can and go get a new one mm-hmm. yep. get rid of all those I, old contacts and I, 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 I would imagine that that's a scary place for a person to be where they've 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 turned to whether it's a, you know a criminal lifestyle or a, or drugs and alcohol or an addiction of some sort. They're usually doing that to cover something else up, and that becomes the crutch that gets them through. And then you take that away and tell them now you got to go start over. That's got to be a scary place for people. Well, again, I talk to people from the very beginning. I'm saying you might have to give up your family because mm-hmm. you know I have. I'll never forget one of the first families I worked with. I worked with a brother and sister. Um, and they both told me, for, you know, I'm, you know, and I'm new, and I'm saying, just, you know, just quit, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're just like, say no, just don't drink so much. Yeah. <laughs> and and they both told me, Kevin, you know what we did for Christmas? You know what we got for Christmas? We got meth. You know what we did with that meth? We smoked it with our parents. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, you know what we did? We didn't have turkey. We had meth with our family. God, with our aunts and uncles. That's what we did. Right. So people don't understand that story. You're, you're socialized. Most of us are socialized. We're all socialized and are raised by our family to do this, this, and this. Typically, it's good things. But we also have to remember there's people out there raising their kids not in a good way. Sure. Right and because they haven't been raised that perspective. You know, yeah, it's just crazy when you hear stuff like that and the things that I've seen. But I've seen miracles of people changing that, right. changing that whole thing. Um, so I, I I know the answer to this, I think, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So, what what does that feel like for you when you have? I mean, because I'm sure there's more failures than successes. Oh. But when you have that breakthrough, when you have that success, that has to be just an elation for you. I would think. It's one of the coolest things you'll ever get to. I'm lucky enough in, in where I'm at is I have two people that have graduate, graduated from our program, two sisters that both work in our program. Yeah. Um, so I get to see them every day, and that keeps me going. Because you're right. right. Um, for the most part, we haven't seen a ton of successes. We've had uh, about 300 graduates of our adult drug court program, and I'm not going to tell you that they're all not using, but I'll tell you that... Um, the most for the most part they haven't come back through the system and that's our goal right. um but yeah 
living you have to learn to live with the with the goods and get rid of the bads if i think of the bads you know the tough part is since covid we've lost more people to addiction in our program than we've lost the previous 20 years um, isolation that's that's, yeah. a, that's around that's 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 not only minnesota wide but nationwide i mean right, we just right. lost the whole fentanyl thing is just yeah up i hear us. yeah pat mcdermott talks about the fentanyl thing a lot um let me let me take that back a little bit more full circle so in an industry in a business in a profession you're in where you're you know you're you're in a failure industry quite mm-hmm. honestly i mean i hate to say it that way but what is that like for kevin metler at home What's that like trying to trying to balance and compartmentalize that and, and still balance three, you know, successful kids and a, and a wife and a family and a, and a regular life? It's been the toughest part. If you don't have something to keep you going, something to, you know, the, the whole self-care thing, for a while there that became kind of cliche, but it's the truth. You have to have that. And for me it was, you know, again, it doesn't always, it doesn't look like it right now, but I like to work out. Um, it, it, uh, I living, you know, chasing my kids all around the United States for sports, um, and really being involved. Like I said, you know, the work thing wasn't always just about money, but it was about, or the, or the service part was, it was about that also gave me life. That also gave me that, that feeling of, of doing stuff that made me feel better to get away from what I was doing every day and watching the this horrible disease take people away Mm -hmm. i mean it's just a horrible disease and getting people to understand first of all that it is a disease and it isn't a choice there isn't people out there going geez i'm going to be a meth addict today because this is really fun um it's an it's a it's a it's a disease and we have to treat it as such but yeah taking care of myself getting away have great great support systems whether it's family friends um always like i said getting out finding things to do we have a motorhome we've been camping for several years of of uh with the family we've always done a lot of camping and all that kind of stuff so at at any point in your career when somebody finished up probation and like say that you thought the whole time they were sliding one past you right they're passing every ua and you said Mm -hmm. no did you ever at the end ever ask somebody you know once they were all down probation hand their paperwork did you ever ask them how did you get away with it you know, I, it came the other way where I would have people that were successful but played the game. And then they would come back and say, I beat you, I beat you, I beat you. But then I got it and changed. Okay. I, there isn't too many guys that are, once they're doing bad that will tell you they're doing bad. It's the guys that are doing good <laughs> right. that will come back and tell you they're doing bad mm-hmm. or they, you know, why they did it. You know, we have this thing, with, and I, I won't even get it, but there's this – there's a. There's something people can take to kind of clean their system that nobody believes work. The professionals, the, the chemists say it doesn't work. And I have all the professionals that I call the true professionals, the <laughs> yeah, people sorry. I use, come and say, Kevin, it works. We, we beat you yeah. UAs for two years doing yeah, that. Right. Um, so that's the people. But it's the people that typically get healthy and come back and go, I'm so sorry I screwed you over for two years when you were trying to save my life. That was uh, one of my favorite days in basic training was when we sat down in the bay at, like, you know, you're about to go home the next day or whatever, and the drill sergeant sits you down, and he's like, all right, immunity, uh, how'd you guys get contraband in here? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. how are you guys doing this? How are you guys doing that? And then so they could wisen themselves up to try to beat the next guys, yep. you know, that were coming through. And that's how we all we oh go ahead, Mike. Well, I was gonna say all of a sudden there's a horse in the barracks. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> this again? Yeah, yeah. They, uh, you know, I learned all the stuff that 
again from the people that I worked with. You know, this is right. what we did, Kevin. This is how we beat UUA. This is how we, you know, I always tell the newcomers when you go out and do a night check, the first person you check. If I check Jack, Jack's calling Mike, right, and saying they're coming. Yeah, and then so on and so on. And you know, they cover for each other. They make sure that you know. We're not going to catch them. It's it's a it's a it's Cops a tough game. Robbers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and that that too. I mean, besides the you know you say to have a strong support system, you were still you know volunteering. You were still doing the football coach, which took up a lot of time. You know, having still an, a positive impact, I would say, on mentoring young men. You know, teenage teenage boys going through that. So I mean, you still had some of that staple. But um, you know, I I imagine. For me, on some of my difficult days, when I, I have a, a difficult case or I have to do a, a home check and CPS is involved and law enforcement is involved, it makes me so much more grateful what I come home to a lot of times. And I have to remind myself that, you know, the people's uh, place or, you know, the, the tough uh, case or individual I was just working with, I mean, I'm not that far down the line for many mistakes from being there, too. And I need to, to truly be grateful for my wife, my children, the house that I have. And and the, the ability to, to kind of look at that reflection and, and not that I'm, I'm better than the people that are in that trouble. I, I, I just easily could mm-hmm. slip down that road if one or two things went another way, and, and not just in the past, but today or tomorrow or the next day. And I need to, and really need to be grateful for those blessings that I have in my life that help kind of keep me on my path. Yep, and that's, that's one of the key things that, I, I, I again, I live with and try to live by. It was really interesting. You brought up something uh, before about... Um, kind of people maybe getting into this for wrong reasons and getting into this field for so I, I there was three tr- treatment courts that I worked in I worked in the adult drug court and the veterans court I also ran the uh, family dependency court so that's a court where you can have your kids taken away or you've lost your kids already oh, because sure. of your addiction issues and uh, it would be really interesting because they would come you know there were people that would be like telling these you know, their, their house is dirty, this is that, whatever, you've done this. And I'm looking, I'd never forget one time somebody, uh, we had one of the people on our team going, she she came to a home visit or came to visit her kids and she brought in McDonald's. And I'm looking at her going, I raised my kids. I mean, every, yeah, yeah, right, right. She wanted them to bring vegetables. Well, you and I both, vegetables and fruit, that's a great idea, but it's not realistic for any. How, how, what's the first thing most of us go to when we got to, take our kids to a baseball game and we're late for supper we McDonald's. go to McDonald's yeah. right, especially if you're not looking for a fight yeah. like hey I need you guys to eat that <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. if you we just get McDonald's you don't have to look at them you know? get some calories in you yeah. Yeah. so that was tough I mean I, re- I remember looking going home to my wife and going gosh we better clean the house if anybody comes over here they're going to think we're horrible parents little high horse that was tough to see it's tough to see when people just don't get the idea that we're not here to wreck people. We're not here, you know, I always tell people, we're not here to catch people, we're here to help people. And we get on the other side where people are so, gotta catch them, we gotta catch them, we gotta right. catch them. Okay, that's fine, catch them, then what are we gonna do? Sure. I mean, what are we gonna do to help them? Right. Because they've been caught a million times. You teach them to order apple slices when you go through the <laughs> yeah. McDonald's drive-thru. Double fries, <laughs> nope, apple slices. Apple slices. Uh, uh. That sounds very, uh, rep- my wife works um, Blue Earth County Financial services and uh she always says you know the thing they instill in us all the time is we're looking for ways to approve people not to deny them you yeah. know we're looking for ways to help them not say no because you know right. but, but there's that different um mentality i guess and that's one of the things i wanted to ask you about is the way you've seen in the the time you've been involved with these programs the way that it has uh has changed you know in the approach like with the with the drug courts and the vet courts you know i i remember when those things first started to kind of come to fruition 
was you mentioned politics earlier was that was that a hard hurdle to climb you know was that a hard thing to kind of instill upon the 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 powers that be like this is a way to help these people not let them off the hook it still is really i mean i still have kind of conversation the other day with with some people because they're it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that you've got to take a you got to approach is totally different so instead of um this person's, you know, did this, this, and this in their past, and therefore they don't get this chance. Mm-hmm. You got to be willing to say, but if we do this, this, and this with them, they can change their life and they can be different. People can change. There's people that still struggle with that. Yeah. And I have a different cell, and I hate to use the word cell, but I have a different cell for treatment courts when I talk to law enforcement compared to talk to social work, compared to talk to teachers, because I believe that treatment courts are the best way to hold people accountable. I've been told that by, again, the professionals that mm-hmm. I work with, the, the, the participants. I wish I'd have went to prison. Prison would have been easier. Prison, you just go and sit in a cell. Right. Our court, we tell you for two years everything you're going to do. So you're going to drug test three times a week. You're going to have curfew checks two times a week. You're going to see your probation officer every week. You're going to you know, get a job, you're going to get housing, you're going to go to, you know, and we're going to push you to be better. And get peer support and yep. like, uh, that side of it. You yeah. can't graduate our program without getting a GED. We average 11 GEDs a year, which is a huge positive. Right. Um, you change people's life by that. I, even the people, you know, I've had people battle with me and go, well, this guy's a, a owns his own concrete business. I'm like, but because he's going to lay concrete, concrete for the rest of his life. And the guy gets his GED and goes, that was the best thing I ever did for me. Just their self-esteem. It's a huge right. self-esteem builder because people don't think they could do that. You had that cloud hanging over your whole life that you didn't finish high school and yep. this and that. And don't have a diploma and finally uh, is got that, it knocked out. I couldn't pass a GED right now. No. <laughs> Take a look at it. It's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. Well, I would, I would ask, can I ask a classmate to help me through yeah, this? Can, yeah. can yeah. I phone a friend? And success builds on success, too. So getting that in there, too, especially for somebody that's kind of down on their luck or in a rough patch and, and you know, potentially made some poor decisions uh, that led them to their inter- interaction with you, you know, getting them those small wins and then eventually a bigger win yeah, too snowballs. helps build momentum. And I think a lot of people too, and, you know, I obviously not the family court and drug court, but on, on veterans court, the big sell for me has always been, yeah, we're, we're helping these individuals out too, but you forget the, the benefit for the community too, mm-hmm. because the recidivism rates, the the severity of their crimes, if they do reoffend are statistically lower. And these people aren't, aren't going anywhere they're right in our, our community and i remember uh we were briefing a bunch of people in the veterans uh, service space for veterans court shortly after it came out and i happened to be there with the assistant county attorney at the time that came to, to brief is now the county attorney pat mcdermott and uh in the, the state of minnesota if you serve in national guard only without any active duty you're not considered a veteran mm-hmm. uh, and so one of the people in the veteran services said well are you do you take people that don't meet the state definition of veteran which is you know just something in policy it doesn't really right. translate to individuals and then i said like, yep if, if we can get them in touch with services you know whether it's va related or state department of veteran affairs or if it's just community and everyone's like everyone came after him and said well why would you do that and, and you know to pat's credit he said because these people live in our community and they're going to stay mm-hmm. in our community and if we have a chance to improve their lives so we lower the, the risks to themselves and we lower the risk to the, the general public, that's a public service, not just a self-service for the individual. You know, and I, I've always stuck with that. It's good for the community. Yeah, right. not just for the individual. but for And uh, family. Yeah. For, I mean, that's the one thing yeah, I, yeah. I always look at. If we can stop the cycle, put a price on that. Just think about that. If, 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 if 
this guy's parents were addicts and criminals and the, his parents and their parents but if we cut that off and from now on that doesn't keep cycling with the with the, his kids you can't put a price on that no, yeah for for them internally and, and the greater good is there uh i'm curious about and i i, I don't want to feel like i'm dwelling on the negative but i'm curious because the, the the obstacles and the roadblocks that you must run into and because and, i think that's really interesting is that i mean there's a there's a passion in you that forces you or, or inspires you to get up every day and it can and run back in there and beat your head against the wall um is is, is there a hypocrisy to to what you do i mean not what you do but the people that you deal with because like when you say well it's hard to think you there's people you run into they're like well why would you give them a second chance he's clearly a criminal and stuff i i picture in my mind the people that say that are the same person if they got pulled over tomorrow with uh, too much to drink they'd be like but you know me give me a second chance come on you know me yep. i'm good for a sec but you know but but the other guy's not good enough for yep. a second chance do you run into that a lot all or, the time yeah and and it happens like I said, more than you would think where, you know, they, they don't believe. There's this theory, this kind of conversation out there that everybody that breaks the law is a bad person. Everybody that's an addict is a bad person. But when you really get down to the nuts and bolts and you talk to people, everybody's got that. Everybody knows either a parent or a brother or a sister or somebody that struggles with addiction or is maybe the black sheep of the family. Um, and that's I've always said the reason people don't want to deal with this and don't like it because it gets too close. Mm-hmm. When, and you can tell when it gets too close to somebody because they act totally different. Um, so they might be the person that's struggling is where I'm going with that. And, they, and right. that's where it really hits and you see the hypocrisy. But they're a professional. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I can, I, that totally makes sense. I can, I can, uh, I can see that. I've, I've seen that in my own family structure and I've seen that in other people's family structure around me. And I, I, I can just see where... It, like I said, it's there's a snowball effect where if you don't find a way to stop that snowball from running down the hill, eventually it gets too big and you just can't stop. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The one thing I want to hit on that Mike was talking about, and I think he's leading it. He's led me a couple times through this, and I keep getting away from it. But the other big part that we really push in all our courts is community. So where do you get community? So if you're an addict, the best place to get community is through recovery. So that's one of our big pushes. So if you're going to come in any of our courts, you're going to be involved in recovery because we can only take you for a year or two years or three years or whatever that means. Um, and then the people that you're going to meet in recovery, the, your, not just your sponsors, but everybody. I've never seen a more inclusive group of people than the people that are involved in recovery. They don't care what color you are, what creed you are, what your addiction is, what everything is. If they're going to help you, and they're even going to help you when you don't want the help. Um, so it's been that's been one of the cooler things that I've seen. The other thing is the community. When we built our veterans court, we really tried to build it around the community of veterans. And I and I and and I've told these guys the story. I didn't have any. I didn't have all my uncles served. My dad didn't, but none of my uncles because you didn't talk about it back then. They didn't mm-hmm. talk about their service. Right. So I didn't know nothing about service until very few people that served before I became the Veterans Court. In fact, I would always tell these guys, you got to educate me on what all this stuff means. Or the people, the, the guys coming in, I would be like, they'd say something to me. I'd go, I don't know what you're talking about. So tell me about what you're talking about. And they'd, they'd be great with it. But we built it with veterans in mind. And that's why we want so many veterans. We want it. We, everybody gets a mentor. And that mentor is out there to try and just be a support for them. And then we even go so far as we have uh, veteran police officers. Mm-hmm. So wherever you are, whether it's in a small community, um, we serve 
we serve anybody, any veteran that needs help. I don't, we're working with a guy right now that picked up a DWI in Mankato and he lives in Sock. Sock. Was up north. Up one by, of, one up, of the Socks, yeah. Up by St. Cloud. You're tight mm-hmm. in that town. And uh, we can do more for him while he's on traditional probation up there with the services we can give him, with the support we can give him. We're going to hook him up with a veteran police officer that's going to go check on him and not just act like a police officer, but act like a a veteran and Mm -hmm. share some of the same things that he's gone through. We've had so much feedback from from that relationship since I, we've started this program 20 some years ago with drug court where the, you know, these, these people that have gone through our court and graduate, look at, you know, they invite that police officer to their graduation. They invite the police officer that arrested them to their, to their graduation. And they, and they, it's funny, they'll tell these, they'll tell these, uh, you know, Kevin, he's not a, as big of a jerk as I thought he was. <laughs> and, and I go, the funny thing is that cops said the same thing about you. Uh, You're not yeah, as big yeah, right. of a jerk as he thought you were. Right. And, and they actually get a common ground. You see yeah. it. It's really neat. Yeah, when you can kind of break it down to just like the human, the person-to-person uh, side of it, too. I mean, that's, again, too, for the officers I think we have involved in the, in the court, too. That's something that they take away and they bring with their day-to-day patrolling, too. So it is... It definitely has a broader reach than just the participants. It's also the people, those mentors, too, that you, you hit it, hit on. And those aren't any professionals. Those are just people in the community that, that essentially want to be a, a ear to listen and a, a, another person to talk to or grab coffee with that's outside the system, that's not a probation agent, that doesn't work for a state or a county and isn't a hired recovery specialist or drug and alcohol counselor or whatever. They're just a person in the community that wants to help people that, need help during a hard time and that's really unique can you can you explain we, we've talked an awful lot about it but what what is the difference between and we'll just lump them all in together a diversionary like treatment court versus the traditional process of probation in court well typically tr- traditional probation we've kind of you know joking about it a little before but you know you're typically going to be seen once a month to once every three months depending on what uh risk level you're at um and they, their caseloads are just so big. You're talking about caseloads of 100, 150, 200. Um, you just don't have the time to spend to do the things that we can do. So they're they're pretty much just coming into the office. They're praying for with, a clean yeah, UA. Yeah, they, they want you yeah. to come in with a clean UA so yeah. they don't have to have more paperwork, right? Yeah. yeah. And good POs, are, I mean, they, there's really good POs, and they're still trying to do the, as much as they can for their people. Um, and, and the one good thing is since the... Uh, since treatment courts have started, it's kind of rubbed off on traditional probation. So what they've started to do now is is what they, is uh, smaller caseloads, and uh, so they have and, and trying to break it down. So there's in Blue Earth County they have a great program uh, with Jackie Navy. She she has a uh, all female caseload, very small of high risk people. Brady Slesher has a high risk caseload um, of adult males. That's smaller, so they can spend more time with them. So treatment courts have kind of rubbed off in that, but you still have your group where you have two, three hundred people, and you're just basically cattle call. Okay, right. got a job, got this, got this, got this. Cross all the things. One thing you've learned, I've learned from day one, and I tell every new probation officer that comes in, you got to double check everything they tell you because they're, again, they're tr- they're trying to get by, and. Uh, you can't do that. It's very difficult in traditional probation. But when we have, so our adult drug court, we have one of the largest drug courts in the state. So we have uh, between 50 and 60 people at any, any given time. We have two agents. So break that in half, 25 to 30 people. So they have a chance where 
if somebody comes in and says, yeah, I've been working, I always tell them, double check, because they'll tell you they've been working for three months, and then all of a sudden you'll come in and go, oh, I've been working for three months, and who looks silly? You. Yeah. And we haven't helped them. We haven't pushed them to be better. Um, and that's, that's one of the things we have to – I always tell everybody that gets in this field, you have to build relationship. And in order to build, once you build that relationship, then you can hold people accountable. If you come in and you become the bad guy right away, you can't go backwards. It's really difficult. So you got to come in, build that relationship, show them they can trust you, show them that you can give them some trust, and then you can hold them accountable when they do bad. And they want, you know, I back when I was a probation officer, I sent lots of people to prison for a long time, lots of time. I always shook their hand, looked them in the face, and they nine times out of ten, nine and a half times out of ten, they said, Kevin, this wasn't your fault. I know it was my fault. I knew what I was doing. But so if you build relationships, you don't have to worry about well, people like that. Well, not Mike. He'd be talking smack the whole way out the door. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you sent me to prison. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But you, you hit on it about the relationship building. I remember something you, you referenced uh, before, but that's the nice thing, I think, too, about the diversionary courts is the smaller caseload. But then mm -hmm. you get to pick up on that nuance and the more uh, finer detail in personalities when people are struggling with. I remember you mentioning we were talking about another uh, case about how I helped somebody with just the simplest thing that didn't fly up on the radar uh, at all with anybody, but then that little thing was taken care of, and it kind of changed the mentality, and there was a little bit more appreciation for that person. I remember you talking to me about an incident, or in, uh, instance where I believe uh, – a, a member had a, a child that needed shoes mm -hmm. and you were just able to find them shoes and that was that was the end that was the hey they're just not here to to fry me and send me to prison they actually care and want to help too and she's one of the people that works in our program now. oh really yeah yeah so uh yeah her son wanted to play football and he didn't have any shoes and he didn't have any shorts and he didn't have any t-shirts he didn't have anything i you know, I was coaching football. That's, hey, that's stuff's all over the place. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I just ran it down to her, and that was the big thing. It's really weird. It's it's never the same. It could be a job. All of a sudden, they get this job, and it just changes their life. They get their GED, changes their life. It's always different, but they got to be ready. That's the biggest thing. I'm not going right. to tell you that drug courts change people's life because we we are that amazing, and we can wave a wand and change people's lives. He got life. his legs they, back. Yeah, they yeah. got to be ready. Yeah, they got to be ready. Um, what so that's is the biggest thing? What is uh, we've we've kind of we've bounced around a little bit about uh, your career path and and where it's you know started and kind of where it's led to, but I don't know that we've actually defined it. So what is what is Kevin Mettler's day look like now? So I, I run the Blue Earth County Drug Court and the and the Fifth Judicial Veterans Court. I thought you were going to say how many miles you ran in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> not, I run every morning. I I, I yeah. run from the refrigerator. No, <laughs> um, and uh, so that takes up the. I mean the. We have our drug courts on Monday. We have our okay. veterans courts on Friday. There's a ton of, unfortunately, I hope my boss isn't listening, but it's become paperwork driven, and, and mm -hmm. so we're doing a lot of paperwork. I, I don't get out as much as I used to as far as meeting with the clients, and but I try, to, I try to stay really into what's going on with them. I'm the first person they meet with. All the referrals come to me. I meet with them. I, I try to find stuff for them as soon as possible. If the veteran comes in, Mike's usually my first call. You know this guy. What can we do for him? I have, I'm have. i lucky enough to have been around for so many years that I have a lot of networking. Uh, and I can, you know, we had this one guy. that we, We're lucky enough in our drug court, Brian Taylor, who owns uh, Mankato Motors, um, and a couple other uh, dealerships in Mankato, sits on our team. He's the community. He's kind of our community person great. i know him. he's great guy. yeah and i can call him and he'll give somebody a job in a heartbeat 
And right now I think he's got five people that we have either from drug court or from veterans court. But this guy, he, uh, he said, Kevin, I've been really struggling. He's an older veteran, not like older my age, older, 56. And, and he says, I just can't find a job like I used to. I don't know what's going to call Brian. Brian gives him a job. And he talks about it in court all the time. He's like, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I got him that job before he started the court. Um, so, I mean, those are the things we go above and beyond to try and help people do. So I do a lot of outreach as far as um, we have a lot of businesses that will hire our people. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of uh, um, places that will rent to us, and that's stuff that I have to go out and find uh, in order for them to do. We just started a program last year with Taylor Corp. Taylor Corp's uh, running a pilot program with us first in the nation where they will hire felons based on our word. Um, wow. So they, uh, Taylor Corp hadn't made a business of hiring felons in the past, uh, but we sat down with them and developed this pilot program, and, and we give them a call, and they'll hire whoever we want. Brian's done a great job. We have several places that will rent to our people. That's one of the toughest. Mike knows that's one of the things we're working on with city council is how to, how to find more uh, affordable housing for the people, and not just our people, but people in the city of Mankato. Is, sure. it, is it hard to get? Um, is it hard to get people into a vets court or drug court? I mean, is there is there like is there a certain it's parameter gotta, like where you're like, man, eh, we're, we're full or we have to roll? I was gonna say, it's got to pick up a charge. Law. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the, it, it's it, it used to be the motto, easy in, hard out. I mean, it's it's right. really should be really easy to get in, but again, you have to get all the powers to be, all the powers to be to believe that that right. you know, because it's still tough. I understand. I understand when a when a. Uh, police officer works his every day doing the stuff that he does and sees the stuff that he does and then he says okay you're, they're not going to prison they're going to drug court that that bothers them but I also can tell them what if they just go on traditional probation and they get seen once a month or once every two months and then we don't hold them to any high standards to change their lives right you know or, or what if they just go to prison and they do boot camp and they get out in a year yeah yeah, yeah and they, they they come back even more skilled at you know breaking the law and everything else and, and more give you, and with yeah. a big with a bigger chip exactly. on their shoulder and right yeah. potentially doing more damage too so, so that's you know that's this little tightrope we walk sure. you know what do you want to be doing in 10 years uh, you just stole my question. I was going to say, what's, what's next? Sorry. What's, what's, what's it Sorry, look like? Jake. You did well. You know, I, I'm hoping that I'm still involved. <laughs> Mike and I have talked about this a lot. I, I, I probably won't be a city council person. I believe that it's just I'm, I'm, I might be stepping across a boundary, but I'm a big believer in you should be in politics for a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. 100%. And work really hard. Mike told me a great thing when we started. He said, if you if we truly do our job over the next eight years, Kevin, we should be so tired we don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. I mean, and that's truly the way you got to look at it. I, I, I'm a believer that eight to 12 years is probably about what you look at. Um, I, you know, I want to retire and, uh, you know, and spend some time with my wife in the motorhome and travel this great country we have i mean there's yeah. amazing things we mm -hmm. have to see anywhere in, in particular you're like is number one spot you'd love to go well, iowa i you know just anywhere i mean yeah, i, I, I see it. just to go wyoming colorado sure all you know the, but driving motorhomes through colorado isn't the funnest thing in with all the with all the coaching and all the stuff that you did were you able to find time to travel and i mean with all the coaching and you know, work and everything else. Have you, have you been able to find time to go out and travel and, and do some of that stuff? Or are you really looking forward to... Lately. Yeah. Not as... I mean, and we were just talking about this weekend, my wife and I, that we always tried to find a way to get, you know, 
it's not a great paying field contrary to what people think so and again um sending my kids to Loyola so you you spent a lot of t- a lot of money sending your kids to Loyola to, and it was worth every minute of it sure but uh we always tried to go somewhere for vacation we got a motorhome probably 10 years ago oh sure yeah. so this isn't something new yeah. Luke's got my old one Luke yeah. Lynott's got my old one <laughs> um so uh I we just took we were always up north at a cabin sure it's a great story I was telling somebody the other day we went to this cabin up on uh uh big lake up in the uh up north and we stayed at a cabin that barely had walls and we thought it was a three-bedroom it was supposed to be a three-bedroom cabin and we could only find two bedrooms and we were there for a week and the last day we were there i, I was having the kids pick up and i told my daughter i said make sure you check the closets and stuff she opens this door and thought it was a closet it was the third bedroom we missed <laughs> the whole <room>. yeah. <laughs> yeah so it was not nothing, the smartest either. Nothing but. gets by you probation guys. Yeah, I'll tell yeah, you exactly. What. <laughs> exactly. Hide the drugs upstairs. Yeah. Uh, or at least yeah. in the closet. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin, yeah. I'll never find it. Never find it yeah. there. Well, that's just a closet. That's not a spare it's bedroom full of drugs. Yeah. Oh. Stay away from there. So, you know, I've been blessed to have yeah. great kids, and we have our uh, we have one grandson, grandson Easton, and uh, he's getting a brother on Friday. Oh, man. Uh, so awesome. we Congratulations. A, thank you. So we Weston, a, then? Yeah, that's it. Thank you. You're, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's great because that's what I told her. I go, what do you name Weston? Or else I said, are you going to name him Rawlings? Yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> or one of the other bat names or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, we, have a, we have a grandson coming on Friday, so that's going to be awesome. My youngest daughter gets married next June. Um, we've got, you know, we just want to spend time with the family and travel cool. as much as I can. So, um, so I kind of alluded at it too. Um, you know, obviously you're doing, you were doing drug court, you'd finished up uh, coaching. Uh, you'd finished up the youth ministry, uh, you know, kind of the filing period came open in May of 2022 around here. Uh, I mean, what was the, the call to service for kind of the local government uh, side for you? You? No. <laughs> I, <laughs> that was a phone call. Yeah. yeah, the interesting thing was for me is I'd been thinking about running. I wanted to initially run for county board, uh, and the state of Minnesota wouldn't let me. They felt it was a conflict of interest. Realistically, everything I do is for Blue Earth County, so I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was going to run for mayor, and uh, thank God that didn't happen because Naja would have swept the floor with me. But uh, <laughs> so they felt the same way that it was a conflict. So then this comes up, and they 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 kind of realigned everything, and and my ward didn't have anybody that was running. And Mike called me and said, you know, there's nobody running. I said, I don't think they're going to let me. So I called, and for some reason they changed their mind and let me run. It's always been something. I, I, I ran on the fact that I truly believe over the last several years people have lost their faith in politics. And the nice thing about city government, it's not political. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to speak for the people that don't feel they have a voice anymore. Um, and I want them to know that... Uh, my running kind of line with them is I can't guarantee anything, but I can guarantee that I'll come out and I'll listen. Um, so it was interesting. We had a, a family that uh, was having some issues with their front yard. They've been having it for a while. Um, I showed up at the front door and they were amazed. I mean, but that's what we believe we have to do. Right. Well, that's why we're here. That's why we're. That's why we took this position. It's. It's. You know, there's other people that take it for other reasons, but th- those are the two main things. Is I, is I want to be the voice for people that don't feel they have a voice, and I want to I want to be there um, when they feel like nothing's going to happen. I, but, I think you know that local government role for me, and we've we've talked about it before, and it was kind of a lot of it the, the premise of this this show of 
uh, you know, strength from service, focusing on serving others in your immediate community, whether that's this community or we're talking to people from uh, other communities, which we're going to have here down the road too. You know, you can't build a castle before you build the first room. And I think people get too hyper-focused on state and national politics and then all the negative stuff that's going on there, all the crime, and they look past their front street, their front window, their neighbor, their neighborhood, and look at the good that they potentially could do serving, helping somebody out, not even an elected position, uh, but, you know, the block parties, the night to unites, the helping a kid with, even not not in the court, helping a kid, uh, you know, learn how to throw a football that doesn't necessarily have somebody that played sports in their, their family uh, there to learn another kid how to, you know, swim, something along those lines too, or even, you know, watching a neighbor's house when they're gone, getting their mail for them, those little things build community, and that's that. At the heart of America, that's the fabric that I think really held us together. And with the isolation that came with the, the shutdowns and with kind of the hyper-focus and technology and 24-hour news cycle, people forget about the fabric. And they look past, you know, what's holding us together. And, oh, God, how is this so terrible? What the yeah. state of Minnesota is doing this? And, uh, you know, you see what the federal government's doing here. And it's like, no, man, I, I really don't care about that because that's out of my control. What's in my control is these people on my right and left in yeah. my neighborhoods and the people that I can help improve my my uh, my lot in life and have a direct impact on. So, you know, it's it's really trying to put your effort into something you can control and make a difference on for the positive. And I think city government, like you said, we're blessed in Minnesota where we don't have to declare a political party, you know, to run and do that whole side of it, which I'm, I'm very grateful for because then, you just get to be Kevin, a council member. I get mm-hmm. to be Mike, a council member, and we just get to serve, and we're dealing with the stuff that people take for granted, the streets, you know, plowing, lights, electricity, utilities, parks. Oh, taxes uh, cover some of that. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> yeah, we're personally not covering it, but, I mean, pe- people get so so tied up on social issues. But, I know what you mean. I just give you Yeah, I know. I, I understand humor, Jack. Well, <laughs> Apparently, I don't understand how to kill a joke. We've had a breakthrough today. I understand how to kill a joke, too, apparently, too. Uh, I get that from my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Just got really, really real in here. Well, you know, know, we can't can't pile it on. But but anyways, that's kind of, you know, what I think, and I I appreciate that about Kevin quite a bit, Um, just watching him from my side, too, and and talking to some of those discussions on those phone calls on the street lights, the front yards and all that stuff too to help your neighbors, literally your neighbors, work through those issues and find a resolution. And make it a community they want to live in. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's getting that community right. back that we were talking about earlier that I think we've lost a bit of. Yeah. And we can do that. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the important part. And I say it, you know, despite the emails we get here at the radio station from what I say on the air, mm-hmm. um, I've always said, you know, whoever is the president or your state senator or your U.S. senator uh, has a much smaller impact on your day-to-day life than who is your city council member and who is your, you know, who's on your county board. And I think people overlook that because they get caught up in the, the drama of you know, the, the nightly news and they forget that you know, what's happening right here in your own backyard. You know, talking to your city council members has a much, much bigger impact on your day-to-day life than who's the president of the United States. I mean, that's almost irrelevant to, to your average Joe walking down the street. And so it's to see guys like you step up and take that role on, I think people underestimate what that, what that means to the community and to, uh, you know, to everybody in this area. And it's really interesting. What I've learned is people are just, they, they want to be heard. And when you let them be heard, it's amazing. They're, they, they look at you like, wow, what are you doing here? What are you doing in my house? Huh. I mean, this doesn't happen. Well, you're, you know, I work for you. <laughs> right. I work for you. I take that very seriously. You pay I my salary. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and we're going to do a good job as, you know, 
Let's, we take that very seriously. Talk a ton about it. We got a, a great group of people we work with, and again, we're really lucky. The staff with, with the city of Mankato are awesome. They yeah. do great work. And it's, I have to say that because my wife works for the city of Mankato. <laughs> I so. understand. Yeah, I can, I, I get, as the president of the curling club, I have a lot to do with the, the city of Mankato. <laughs> so, and it's great, by the way. I should. Yeah. I, oh, your eminency! I didn't know your royalty. <laughs> Come on, what did you expect? Let's go. Um, Rapid fire. Time for that? I yeah. think it might be. Yeah. Cool. So we like to we like to we like to end every episode of Strength from Service with a couple questions that I think are uh, always fun to ask. So, Kevin, if you could go back in time and uh, tell your younger self anything, what piece of advice would you give yourself? Study. No, I mean that's, right? that's yeah, a simple no, that's... one. I mean, take life a little bit more seriously, younger. But I, I don't. It's a path that's been awesome for me. So I don't. Like I said, there's a chance that if I, I'm a firm believer. Every day gives you a choice, and every day takes you down a different road, and that would have taken me down a different road, and I wouldn't be sitting here right now. So Yeah, and you, you kind of answered the second question, which is I always like to ask, if you could do it again, would you do it the same way? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, I wish I would have taken life a little bit more seriously, um, but it's been a great life. I got great family. I got great friends. I, got, I don't know what more I could have. Uh, Kevin Mettler is our guest today on Strength and Service. Before we let you go, I've added a new question you guys Ooh. aren't aware of. Uh, favorite barbecue food? Oh, great question. Yeah. Ooh. Um, I'm kind of stuck between a brisket and a, and a really good pork butt. Yeah. Mm. Um, I've just started dabbling myself into, into smoking stuff, but I, we, we put together a pretty good pork butt for, for the 4th of July that nice. people seem to like. Nice. Well, there's always tips and advice on the barbecue show. There we go. Every, uh, every Saturday at 1130 right here on KTOE. <laughs> right, after, right after us. Shortly yeah. after yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. Shortly, after, shortly after this show airs. So. Uh, Kevin Mettler, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your service. We, we can't thank you enough for, uh, for not only the, the service that you give, but for taking some time out of your busy day to come in and uh, chat with us. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for coming. Awesome. This was a great yeah. experience. Thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, yeah but we, we really appreciate it. Remember, Strength and Service is not only heard on the air on KTOE every Saturday morning, but you can also find it wherever you find your regular podcasts. Uh, so make sure that you uh, download, subscribe, and uh, follow Strength from Service. This is the Strength from Service podcast. 